we want everybody to be coming to wits because we believe that issues of amplifying women and people of color and other underrepresented communities should be an issue that all of us are fighting to resolve and not just some of us, you know? So like men should be as much part of that conversation of what do we need to be doing and how can we help and how can we fix this as, as the people who are affected by it should be. Welcome to the Travel Media Lab podcast. I'm your host, Yulia Denisuk, an award-winning travel photographer and writer, entrepreneur, community builder, and a firm believer that every one of us can go after the stories we've always wanted to tell with the right support, encouragement, and structure. I'm on a mission to help women storytellers everywhere break into and thrive in the travel media space. If you're ready to ditch your fears to the side, grow your knowledge and confidence, and publish your travel stories, you're in the right place. Let's go. This is a very special episode for me. I've been a fan of Beth Santos and the work she does with her wonderful community for years before I ever became a travel journalist. I came to the first ever Women in Travel Summit in Chicago in 2014. That's the annual event that Beth and her wonderful team put together. At the time, I was still in my corporate job, feeling stuck and not seeing a way out. And when I met Beth and her community at WITS, it suddenly felt like there was a path forward for me. Like there were other women who felt like me, who felt like they wanted more out of their lives, wanted a life full of trouble. And that was the inspiration I needed to keep going, keep quietly working on my dream until one day, a few years later, I quit my job and became who I am today. The conversation that Beth and I had and that you're going to hear today, it went by entirely too quickly. In it, we discussed important topics like being a mother and a travel entrepreneur, what risk has to do with going after our dreams, what becoming a godmother to Azamara Cruise Line meant to Beth, congratulations by the way, Beth, why wonderful is not a traditional travel startup, and so, so much more. Beth is a wonderful guest and speaker, and she shares many stories in this episode, including the time she went to live on a two-island nation off the coast of West Africa, or the time a potential investor into Wonderful asked her to make an impossible choice. We also discussed why we shouldn't really compare ourselves to Beyonce and many, many other things. In short, you don't want to miss this episode. And while you're at it, do check out Wonderful, the platform that Beth created that grew from a blog into an international platform and collective of travelers and travel content creators on a mission to make travel better for all women and their allies and everyone involved. You can find out more information about Wonderful at she'swonderful.com and we'll also link to it in our show notes. Finally. Before we get started today, I have an announcement to make. This August, I'm running a two-day workshop series called Getting Started in NFTs. The two workshops will be on August 10th and August 17th. Both of them are Wednesdays. And in that time, we're going to cover all the basics you need to know to get started in the space yourself. Check out the link in our show notes to register today or go to our homepage, travelmedialab.com to learn more. And as a special thank you to our podcast listeners, use code NFT10, that's all caps, NFT10, NFT10, to get 10% of your registration. This code expires on Sunday, July 31st. So if you're interested, don't wait register today. All right, let's get into this episode with Beth Santos. Well, Beth, welcome. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so, so, so excited that we were able to find the time and for you to come and share your incredible story with us. I am fangirling over here. Totally. (laughs) Oh, thanks, Yulia. No, I'm so thrilled to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. And congratulations, by the way, on being named the Azamara Godmother. That is like so cool. What a cool concept. Tell us about that. 
Thank you. You know, oh my gosh, it has been the most exciting, interesting journey, I have to say. I mean, definitely a standout moment in my professional career, but honestly, my life. I mean, it it really started a few months ago. I don't even, I think it was last year at this point. And I got an email from Azamara saying, it was actually from their PR firm saying, you know, we want to have a conversation with you about potentially being, you know, the godmother of our cruise ship. And I remember reading it and, you know, and it came in through my website and I was just like, okay, I don't know. You know, I reached out to my mom and she was like, it's probably spam. Just ignore it. You know, like both of us were kind of like, is this a real thing? I don't know. I mean, and I didn't know a lot. I'll be honest. I, I, you know, wasn't an experienced cruiser. I didn't know a lot about what it was to be a godmother of a cruise ship. So all of those things were kind of like, well, why me? And then the more I researched it, the more questions I had because godmothers of cruise ships, they're celebrities. I mean, you know, Kate Middleton was a godmother of, of a cruise ship. Pitbull has been a godmother of a cruise ship. Celebrity just named their most recent godmother, and it's Simone Biles. So I'm looking at this, and it's like Kate Middleton, Pitbull, Simone Biles, Oprah, Sophia Loren, and then like Beth Santos. And I was like, this couldn't be real. And so I get on the phone with them, and they're like, no, we really want you. And as I started to learn more about Azamara as a company, I started to understand why. You know, it's it's a woman-led company. Their leadership is primarily women and people of color. And they wanted to do something just a little bit different. You know, the the way cruising has been, there's a lot of tradition involved. And the godmother of a cruise ship, you know, it tends to be traditionally it's like the ethical compass of the ship and kind of, you know, the guiding direction of the ship moving forward. That's kind of like the traditions of it. Now it's just kind of a PR moment. You know, it's like, let's get a famous person to make a speech and, you know, hopefully the media will be excited about it. And they said, we just want to do something different. You know, we want to partner with somebody who's really actively doing the work in this space and who sort of represents where we want to take this industry and this business. And they're like, we just really want to bring you and we're just really admire the work that you've done with Wonderful. And I, you know, and the best part I tell, like, this is becoming a long story, but I promise it's good. The best part is I actually declined initially. I love the story. I, I love, I was going to ask you because I love that story. I want you to tell it. It's so good. Well, and you know, it's like I, I declined initially. There were a number of issues with scheduling. You know, I was just, and you know, as much as I will move mountains for really cool opportunities, one of the things that was a challenge, there were two things. One was that I had a family vacation planned with my entire extended family in honor of my dad who, you know, just had had planned his retirement. And, and then the other was that it, the day my ship, the ship was supposed to depart was my daughter's fifth birthday. And that's, you know, there couldn't have been a more important time to really invest in family than after two years of our pandemic and kind of realizing, you know, I've, I've lost people in my family. A lot of people around the world have lost people important to them family is very important. And and so I said, you know, I'm not going to leave my daughter on her fifth birthday. On top of that, we have this family vacation. And I get off the phone and my husband is like, call them back. He's like, are you crazy? He's like, there's no way you can say no to this. So he, so we like called up my dad. He ends up rescheduling the whole family vacation, but there's still this issue with my daughter. And, you know, and I think it says something about a business when, you know, when we talk about inclusion. And that's at the heart of what Wonderful does. And I know we're we're going to go into that, but we talk a lot about gender inclusion. What does that mean? And I think, you know, when you ask somebody to participate in this role, when you come from like a DEI lens, you know, sometimes you feel like, okay, I made the invitation. I did the work. I extended that to that person. If they say no, it's not up to me. You know, like I've, it, the ball is now out of my court. And so when I said no to them, I think any company could have very much said, hey, we put in the effort, we asked who we wanted to, it didn't work out, whatever. But they actually, a week later, got back to me. They were like, hold on a minute. They got back to me a week later and they're like, okay, we figured it out. They basically planned an entire trip for my whole family. They flew my two daughters out, my husband out, my mother-in-law to help take care of them. They all got put up in this beautiful Fairmont and Monte Carlo. They got tickets to the christening. They got like a black car to meet me where I was so that we could do like my daughter's fifth birthday in Monte Carlo with her. And then I would show up a day late. They'd have a black car come pick me up. The ship would literally pick me up like on the way. I was the only person that this cruise ship picks up. 
picks me up on the way. I go on this three-day voyage. I make a couple speeches. I get back and my family's there. And it's like the amount of work. I mean, it had literally gone all the way up through the C-suite. And the effort alone said to me, this is a company that I need to be working with. Because for you to go through so many mountains just to you know, make manifest something that you really believed in, that said a lot to me. And yeah, so I, I went to Monte Carlo. I went on this like extremely beautiful, luxurious trip in this gorgeous room with a butler and a fresh bouquet of flowers and a big bottle of champagne. And I got to wine and dine with people. And I went wine tasting in Italy. And I went, I mean, just the most amazing trip you can imagine. And and now I get to say that I'm the godmother of a cruise ship. And I got to smash the bottle of champagne over the new ship. And a portrait of me is hanging on the ship for like the lifetime of the ship. And I made a speech in front of hundreds of members of the travel industry. And it was, it felt like a Cinderella moment, honestly. I bet. I bet. And, and so well deserved. And so I'm like looking at your, no, really like looking at your career. I mean, I, I have no, I'm not surprised that when they look at, you know, who would be a candidate in the travel space who align with our values, it would be Beth. I mean, I think now hindsight, it's obvious that it should be Beth, you know? Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, it's, it, you know, it was funny because when I was on the ship, I said, I mean, I I, I see things very strategically. You know, I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a CEO, so I like see all this stuff. And I remember, you know, they have all these journalists from around the world and nobody was asking me any questions, which at first I was kind of like, well, that's a little strange. Like, why is nobody asking me? And then I sort of thought, you know, People are probably not going to ask Simone Biles her opinion about the future of the travel industry because she doesn't work in the travel industry. You know, she doesn't have a lot to say. I, on the other hand, I work and breathe and live in the travel industry. I have a lot of things to say about what our industry can and should be. And so I called up the PR firm and I was like, can we schedule? Like, I don't think the journalists know that they should ask me questions and I have answers for those questions. So we set up this whole like godmother hosted cocktail hour. And I just went up to people and I was like, you probably don't know what wonderful is. Let me tell you what it is and why what we're doing is important and what you need to know and why you should publish something. <laughs> I love that. That tenacity. That tenacity. I love it. I love it because because actually that's one of the things I wanted to get into, which is, you know, one. I think one of the key qualities that entrepreneurs in any space, but especially in a female entrepreneur in the, in the space as volatile as travel can be sometimes, especially right now, that's one of the things you really need is that tenacity. And that's, you know, you have to speak up for yourself and really you have to put yourself out there. There's no other way around it. Yeah, you have to. You absolutely have to. And, you know, there's a there's this really interesting like narrative about that that I identify with a lot. And it's somebody had brought it up and I'm trying, I do not remember who it was, but it was this concept of, speaking of godmothers, is actually concept of like the fairy godmother issue with fairy tales. And, you know, to make this really concise, they were saying, you know, one of the big problems with fairy tales nowadays is that the, the lesson that we're teaching our girls is that if you're a good person, you know, like, fundamentally inside your heart, you're a good person. Somebody, usually some sort of fairy godmother, is going to notice that and they're going to speak out on your behalf and they're going to give you something that you deserved the whole time because you were a good person and you deserved it. And there's a lot of problems with this because we're teaching our girls that they don't need to speak up for themselves. They don't need to advocate for themselves because if they just continue being good people, somebody's going to notice along the way. And that's not going to happen. People aren't going to just notice and speak up for you. People are busy. We're, we're in our own thing. You have to, I'm not saying you have to like brag all the time, but you have to advocate for yourself and you have to feel comfortable doing that. And I think that's something that's not naturally embedded in us. So I think about that a lot, about this need for really just advocacy and tenacity and standing up for ourselves. God, I love I love that so much, Beth, because that's, we talk about this a lot in the Travel Media Lab community that, you know, especially for people who are just starting out or trying to break into, you know, these publications or, you know, starting their careers. There's this idea sometimes that somebody will notice me. You know, if I just show up, I, I put a great work on Instagram, let's say, or wherever, somebody eventually will notice me. And what I always say is that, well, it can happen. People might notice you, but why leave it up to that chance? Because again, people are so busy. Everybody's in their own kind of things. 
put yourself in front of people, make that chance higher because no one else is going to advocate for you the way you do. And it just resonates with me so much. And I think, especially for you right now in this stage of your life, as you're now raising two daughters, you're probably thinking about that, right? How do I raise them so that they are their their own advocates? Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm thinking about that all the time. I mean, probably too much where I'm looking at them and they try to do something. Like just this morning, my daughter wanted to wear her hair to school where she had like one side of her hair in a braid and one side of her hair just like poofing out along the side. And my husband was horrified and he was like, no, you have to, you know, and I was just like, let her express herself. This is who she is. Like, she's not hurting anybody. Let her be bold. And like, why should we be the people who are knocking her down? Society is going to knock her down enough. Like, let her. (laughs) But I mean, it's just, yeah, I, I do. I think about that a lot. And you're right. And I mean, just think about like a basic example. Think about all of the all, you know, every time you turn on the radio, I feel like everyone has a moment where they're like, why is this person famous? Their stuff is horrendous. And then other times you go to this amazing concert and you're like, why is this person not famous? And at the end of the day, there's incredible talent out there, but we can't leave it to just pure raw talent to be the thing that speaks for us. You know, we have to speak out for ourselves and make those connections and and advocate for what we're doing and explain to people why it's important and needed. And sometimes those things do need to be explained, you know? Yeah. For sure. And I mean, everyone listening to this podcast right now, if you don't already know Beth, please, which I'm sure you actually do if you're in the travel media space, but please check her out, check her out, her socials, check out her website, check out Wonderful, because I think you're such a great example of how to be that advocate for yourself and for others, by the way, for many, many, many others as well, you know? And we'll, we'll get into that as well. I want to definitely get into your work with Wonderful, but two things first. One is like when you were telling the story about this email popping up, uh, popping in your inbox from Azamara inviting you or wanting to talk to you. I think about like, because I've gotten some kinds of emails like that, right? For example, National Geographic emailing me all of a sudden, they want to work with me or something like that. And you're like, oh my God. And it just feels so good to have that feeling that the vision you had for yourself or this, let's say, less than traditional career path that we're all sort of carving out for ourselves. And there are these moments where the universe is nodding back to you and saying, yes, yes, you're on the right track. You know, people want to work with you. Opportunities are lining up for you. It's just such a special moment to behold. It really is. And I think you're right. There is really validating, honestly, because I do. I think, you know, we're talking about, yes, you have to advocate for issues. Yes, you have to speak up. But I mean, it is it's really exhausting. It's exhausting to be in that position all the time to constantly. I mean, you know, and we're I was I was just talking to a member of the team about this because I was saying, you know, so in the last I know we weren't going here, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. Last year, my husband and I bought a cafe because why not? We have plenty going on. Why not just add a cafe as well? So we bought a neighborhood cafe. We partnered with our business partner, Kelly, who's a chef, who's also managing the cafe and is like the number one person. We're like not even numbers two and three. We're like number 11 and 12, you know, down the line. But, you know, it was it's interesting because I do the marketing and I do the finances for the cafe and running a cafe has given me a whole different perspective on running Wonderful, which is a digital business, which, you know, has works in a market that is constantly rebuilding itself. And it's given me insight, you know, because cafes, those are, I don't want to say it's an easy business. Of course, there's a lot of things to consider, but we all sort of as a society understand the business model of a cafe and fundamentally agree with how it works. You know, a cup of coffee costs whatever, four bucks. If you charge eight bucks for a cup of coffee, nobody's going to buy it. We all agree that it shouldn't cost that much. You know, so so there are kind of rules that have been established already. But wonderful, we're actually making those rules as we go along. And a lot of these new businesses nowadays that focus on something related to the digital world, we're actually building the market as we go. And there's this additional amount of work that's involved with that in not just doing the job, but advocating for why the job needs to be done in the first place. And, you know, and it like, and I was telling the team this when, when we bought the cafe, cause I was like, I feel so much more confident about my ability as an entrepreneur, because for the 10 years that we've been running wonderful, I've always in the back of my head been like, am I just dumb? Or like, why is this so hard? And I think it's, you know, we kind of realize like, 
this is a really hard business to run. And a lot of people who are in that the space of innovation and technology and whether you're a tech focused company or not, you know, if you're kind of in the new the new world of business, it's half of the job is just arguing for why the work we're doing is important and then creating. We're constantly building things and packages and we're, you know, explaining why this is an issue. Why is women in travel an issue? You know, and and it takes like so much mental and emotional work and it's worth every minute. I love it, but it is a hard business to operate in. And I don't think we give ourselves enough credit as entrepreneurs in just the amount of work it takes to have a vision and to communicate that vision before you're even getting into the process of like selling your products and services. Beth, you just made some soul healing work for me too, because I'm feeling that as well with, with what I'm trying to do with the Travel Media Lab. And exactly that, like it's hard, you know, and you have to explain like, why does this has to exist? Because people don't know. It's like first time they come across it, you know. And why should somebody pay for it? And who should pay for it? And how much should they pay? And what's the business model? And how does the, all of those things. I mean, again, you work in a business where it's like, okay, whatever, a bag of coffee beans costs $40 for five pounds. You use that to make however many cups of coffee you sell the coffee. I mean, the economics are built out for you. You don't have to be like, okay, what if we create a membership program where we serve certain numbers of cups of like, you don't have to think about that stuff. But I think, yeah, with Wonderful, we're constantly like, okay, well, maybe we repackage this as membership, or maybe we have a, you know, a business focus. And it's really exciting to be able to innovate. But yeah, I think that it's hard. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard. We do hard stuff because that's what amazing people do. I love it. I love it so much. I know, right? Well, I want to take a moment and actually go go back a little bit to the origins, the origins of Beth in the travel space. And I know that eventually that leads to the creation of Wonderful itself. So I've read somewhere that, you know, you've studied abroad in Portugal, which is sort of where your roots are in, and that you were interested in diplomacy and foreign relations, which made my heart flutter a little bit because that was me too. I was, that was me too. That was the path I was going to go down as well. But then you moved to Sao Tome and Principi, the island off the coast of Gabon in Africa. I had to look it up where that is because I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Yep. Totally. And and that's where the idea for Wonderful was born. But what brought you to that island nation? And were you always a traveler, like from the beginning? Or how did that whole origin came up came to be? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I traveled enough growing up. I didn't I wasn't an extensive traveler. My parents weren't, you know, in the Peace Corps. It wasn't anything like that. You know, I was just an American kid you know, that moved a couple times growing up because my dad had various jobs. And, you know, we did one family vacation to Portugal when I was in fifth grade. That was my first time really out of the country. And I had been to Canada before in Mexico, but as a two-year-old. But anyway, but so it was my real kind of first time out of the country. And and um, so I had done some travel, but, you know, I didn't, I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't love to travel. I didn't love moving around a lot. I really loved my extended family. I hated leaving them. So every time we would go visit and then leave them, I would like cry as a kid and be like, why are we leaving? So so I didn't. And then Portugal, when I studied abroad, you know, my you mentioned that my dad is Portuguese. So I have I have Portuguese roots. And I had been really curious about this culture that I had been raised in, you know, as, as second generation Portuguese who, you know, would go visit my grandparents and it would be you know, like stepping into Portugal, right? Like they're still very connected to where they were from. And my dad's first language was Portuguese growing up, but he couldn't speak it back. He understood it first language, but couldn't speak it back and never taught it to me. And so I had all these kind of complicated feelings growing up about like my identity. And I had people always telling me like, even like Portuguese, I mean, I'll be like, you're getting me to be totally honest right now. Even there's like, even America doesn't know what to do with Portuguese people. Like in some, in some places we're considered Hispanic because we're like part of the Iberian Peninsula and other places we're not, you know, the Department of Transportation puts us in like the Latinx Hispanic category. So like whenever they ask, you know, how do you identify? And there's the box. I always have this moment of like, well, I don't know. And then I've had people who are like, you're brown and you need to like own your brownness. And then I've had other people like, no, you know, the Portuguese were, which they were the colonizers, you know, like the ones who were inflicting the most harm and kind of like where I've sort of landed on this decision. But I think identity has so much to do with how other people perceive you too, that it's kind of an, an unignorable fact. But, you know, so, so I had kind of all these confusing feelings. I studied abroad in Portugal. I loved it and 
hated it at the same time. I mean, it just, it changed me in so many ways. And I was so filled with culture shock and, you know, which is, I actually think it's kind of funny now because for me now I've been to Portugal so many times now and I speak the language really well. For me, Portugal is like visiting New Jersey now. Before Portugal was like visiting Mars, you know, like it felt like a completely different, but I felt so changed and so connected to my family. And I came to know them and I, it felt like this, it sounds so stupid, but it's like this part of myself that I like didn't know was there. Like I felt that part of me opening up and, and I got super involved in the Portuguese community. Again, I was only there for a year, but my Portuguese got so good. It's not that good anymore, but it got so good to the point that locals did not know that I was not from there. Like I had a perfect accent, you know, in a year. And I mean, I think that just goes to the fact that I heard it my whole life. So like, just, you know, I was just able to, so I ended up moving to DC. I got a job at the embassy of Portugal. I was actually like coordinating parties for the president of Portugal at the Portuguese embassy in DC, this like very kind of like high, you know, fun kind of job. And, and I, in typical DC fashion, met a friend of a friend at a picnic who used to run the Peace Corps in this country called Sao Tome and Principe, which is a Portuguese speaking country off the West coast of Africa. Like you mentioned, it's a two island nation. It had less than 200,000 people in the whole country. So, you know, second smallest economy in the world. Um, main exports were chocolate and fish, you know, and, and coffee. And he said, you know, if you're ever looking for something to do, I still have this nonprofit. I've stayed in Sao Tome. He ended up moving there in the, I don't know, I think maybe the nineties and, and then just stayed. And he actually, no, he moved, he moved before the nineties, the Peace Corps pulled out in the nineties. He stayed he started this local nonprofit. He had a house with extra bedrooms. He would take volunteers and give them three meals a day and free lodging. And I had a friend who had just stayed with him. So I knew he was like a legitimate nonprofit founder and not just like creeper who was like, I have an extra room. And he just said, anytime you're looking for something to do. And I, at 22 years old, was like, sure, why not? You know, I speak the language. I don't have anything else really going on. I don't know what I want to do with my life. I was an art history major in college that didn't really get me anywhere, although I did love it. And so I just moved on a whim to Sao Tome. I raised money. The flights were like $2,000. They were expensive, um, especially at the time. Raised money, flew over there, sight unseen, showed up my first day, the founder, and then I promise I'll stop monologuing, but this is another really good story. The founder... You have so many of them, Beth. I love it. I love it. <laughs> the founder meets me the day of. It's this tiny airport. He lives like a five-minute drive away. He picks me up in his car. We go to the house. He says, hey, I know that you speak Portuguese. There's this thing going on at this middle school. Why don't you go down and check it out? Again, never been anywhere in Africa in my entire life. Show up at this school and there the principal is waiting outside the school building. And he says to me, good, I've been waiting for you for hours. And at this point, me at 22, I'm like, I literally just flew here on like a 24-hour flight from the US. I had no idea anybody was waiting for me, let alone for hours. What's going on? He takes me into the school building, into his office, which is the only locked building in the school. And there behind him are 100 mint condition laptop computers still in their boxes. Like, we received this donation from your friends. They were not my friends. I didn't know who they were. They were other Americans that had donated laptops. And he just assumed that we all knew each other. And he was like, we don't know what to do with these. And there began my whole journey in Sao Tome, which was learning about One Laptop Per Child, which is an initiative out of MIT that was trying to develop a $100 laptop that could be deployed by the tens of thousands into the developing world. They had been the recipient of a hundred of these computers and they were horrified because they didn't have tech support. They didn't speak English and the computers were in English. They didn't know how to use them. They were afraid of what might happen to a child with a piece of valuable technology in their town. And they just kept them in their in the principal's office for weeks. And and for two years on and off, I ended up kind of just being like, well, we got to do something with them. I mean, we can't just like leave them here. There's got to be a learning opportunity here. And so I developed this whole laptop program that I ran for like 100 kids. And there's many more things to say about that experience, including the good and the bad of being a 22-year-old woman volunteering overseas. But that's where Wonderful all began, because here I was living hyper-locally. I mean, in a place where you're in, you know, teaching at a local school, getting, I got my motorcycle license to get to school every day, et cetera, living hyper, hyper locally and realizing that there was a real lack of support for women who are traveling on their own and not just lack of information, but just lack of people saying like, yeah, go do it, you know, and encouraging 
each other. And so I started to write about those experiences and I started a blog. And that blog is what has become wonderful today. What a origin story. I mean, like, I mean, we all have origin stories, but this one is like, I think it beats a lot of them. It's, uh, Yulia, you're getting all the good stories out of me today. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, two things here. One is, I think it's, it was an interesting way to showcase a huge problem with support to developing world where you're, you're, you know, you're bringing in this huge shipment of laptops and then there is a mismatch between the, the goodwill that, that wants to help these people and then the reality on the ground and what they actually need and how they're actually going to use that technology. I think that's just, there's so much of that uh, happening. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm not very versed in the social entrepreneurship world, but I, I do, I am interested in it. I'm, I'm looking at it from time to time. And that's like, that just hit me when you were talking about that story that like, okay, there's these hundred computers that these people really have no use for, in, you know, at least in the, in the original form. And then the other thing I was thinking is that I can see now how your ability and capability to run, not only run wonderful, but to grow it to what it is today, plus all the other things you're doing, by the way, which is, you know, not only the cafe, but also consulting destination marketing organizations and clients and 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 Bessie Awards and WITS, right? All those things. I feel like I saw the origins of that in that 22-year-old girl who sort of jumped right in into the situation. Hey everyone, I'm interrupting myself for a quick second to share with you that I've created a resource just for you. If you want to publish your travel stories but don't know where to start, you'll love this resource. In it, I've included 10 steps you should start taking right now if you want to see your travel stories on the pages of your favorite travel magazines. Be sure to go to travelmedialab.com start to grab this free guide. That's travelmedialab.com slash start. All right, now back to this episode. Where a lot of us would have probably freaked out, to be honest. You know, I, I had somebody tell me once, it was a ski instructor after a day of horrible, horrible skiing. And he said to me, you know, you're really not a physical risk taker, but you are an emotional risk taker. And I was like, you're 100% right about that. I mean, I just, I don't know, maybe I lack the gene that makes me nervous about doing stuff with my career. <laughs> but yeah, it is funny. I, I was just connecting with an old friend the other day and we were kind of reflecting on how, you know, hindsight really is 2020 and how if you had asked, you know, even 17-year-old Beth what she was going to do with her life, I don't know, I would probably have told you that I wanted to be a singer or something, you know, like, but now I look back and I was like, I was actually doing all that stuff. Like when I was a teenager, I had started a group of friends and we had like a Yahoo group that we all used to meet and we had like a name and I would plan parties for them. And then I was like, oh my God, this Yahoo group that I started for my high school friends, that's wonderful today. I mean, I literally have just been doing the same thing my whole life. It's just taken new iterations, you know? And I think, I don't know, I've just kind of gone with it and just sort of, I don't even know, I didn't even think of myself as on, an entrepreneur until I went to business school because I didn't see it as like, let's solve a problem with a business. It was just like, let's create a thing that we need because it sounds like fun. I don't know. And it's it turned into a whole bunch of wacky and exciting adventures. And I, I think what you said about risk really resonates with me because I feel this way like hundred percent. Like I feel like my risk tolerance level is really high. And I think you kind of need that if you're going to go do some of these untraditional things that your parents are going to disapprove, that might not give you stability for a while, you know, there, there needs to be something that, you know, says, you say, you know what, let's just go do it. Let's just jump right in and just try it. I love that. I love that. And I think, you know, what you were talking about with Wonderful, the question I had for you, which I think you kind of answered already, actually, was that, you know, it started as a as a blog as this means of you means for you to share your experiences and then you know of course where it grew today 45,000 plus members around the world all these events chapters wits etc and the question i had was was there like a defining moment where you were like oh this is what wonderful is going to be did you have a vision for what it is today basically or was it more like let's start building and let's see what happens with this thing you know, I don't think I ever could have had a vision for what it would be because to the point we were talking about earlier, we have created this as the market has evolved. We have created the market that we operate in. 
And when we first started, you know, when I sat down and and put the pen to paper, if you will, I was on my computer, typed my blog, put the finger to the keypad of my blog, you know, it's like you can only see so many steps ahead, right? I wasn't like, oh, one day this is going to morph into an international community with meetups and da-da. of course there's big pictures along the way, but I, it would be a misstatement to say like, oh, I knew what this was all going to be. And I think that that also kind of differentiated me. So I did end up going to business school. I worked in the nonprofit world for a while, you know, as I was just make wonderful was just a blog and I was super interested in, in social enterprise. So I went to business school to study social enterprise. And then at one point I decided to also major in entrepreneurship and innovation. And I think if there were like any, you know, purposeful point in my life, maybe that was it when I was kind of like, well, wait a minute, you know, maybe this blog is like actually a business and maybe we could be monetizing this in some way. And I just started thinking about things like that a little bit differently. And but, you know, being in business school, I mean, they teach you how to start a business, which usually means, you know, you're you're supposed to start with problem generation, which is like, what is the problem I'm trying to solve? And then you do a whole bunch of this is all like the 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 lean startup method process, right? You do a bunch of interviews with potential stakeholders and you identify, okay, well, what are their issues with it? And then you put it on postcards and you stick it on a wall and you figure out, okay, what are the connections? And then you create a solution based on that. And we didn't start that way because we actually started knowing who our customer was very deeply, but not really being able to pinpoint one problem that they were solving. And in that way, Wonderful never has been like a a startup, you know, in the traditional conventional definition, because, you know, we never solved just one thing. We we're, you know, we were more of a community from the beginning and we innovated stuff for our community along the way. And we almost became like intrapreneurs in that way. And so it was interesting in that sense, you know, like wits, we had just started on a whim because we started as a blog. We saw other people were starting blogs. We wanted to put together a party. I don't know. I had just planned my wedding. I was like, how hard could a conference be? And we just decided to do it again. Like, yeah, total just risk, you know, not even concerned about risk. And and that's where wits came from. And then it went really well. And we were like, we should do another one. You know, so same with Wanderfest. We were just like, there's no festivals focused on women and travel. That's insane to me. You know, Essence Fest is one of the biggest festivals out there and it's focused, you know, like it's there's Burning Man. There's so many different types of events, but there's nothing that actually focuses on travel that's not in like a convention center. And so we just kind of created it. And I think it's it has been sort of just trust, not like trusting your gut, because I don't think it's like we just sort of pulled it out of thin air. But I think it's starting community first and listening to those needs and, you know, making making suggestions and trying ideas and being willing to just test it and bringing people around you that are also willing to sort of go along with your wacky ideas and know that it might not work and things are going to be really confusing, but that's okay because we're all having fun. And that's kind of how Wonderful has like cobbled itself into the conglomerate that it is today. <laughs> oh my God, I love I love it. I love that you're calling it a, a conglomerate. It totally is. But it, something that you said there, it, it really struck a chord with me because that's how I feel when I think about Wonderful. It is a community. It's like camaraderie. And really that's, I think, probably the primary need that you were filling with this community is the need to be recognized and need to have that space for you and other women around you who are absolutely you know in love with travel but who don't have that space to come home to basically that's kind of how I think about it so it makes sense that of course it's not like a traditional startup in the sense that you know you're solving some sort of need it's a community first and foremost and then you innovate around that, which I really love how you how you put it. And yeah, again, it's actually helping me too to think about, you know, even Travel Media Lab again and what I'm trying to do here because it's it's the same, right? It's it's ha- it's about having that home for you. Absolutely. Well, and I think it's yeah, I, you're it, it is definitely that. And I think, you know, it's been kind of fun building this alongside. I mean, you know, a, a large part of our community is creators. And so I feel like we are you know, the, the, we're kind of like in the same business as the people who are in our community, right? Like we're building a community and they're also building a community and we're helping them do it. And our community is them and their community is somebody else, you know? And so it's been kind of interesting being in that space too, where we're a community, 
but we also kind of feel the unique responsibility of being leaders in that community. And, and there's nothing that really explains that better than WITS, for example, which I just, you know, we've been doing some hiring for our sales team. And I will say to them, I'm like, you know, this isn't just a regular sales job. This isn't just, you know, hey, we're going to give you a list of tables to sell at this event and you just sell them. I mean, every table you sell at WITS, because for people who don't know WITS, it's it's a content creator event where we talk about issues in the travel industry. We talk about how to build your community, how to build your platform. And so we have content creators attend and travel, but then we also have members of the industry and we do like networking between them, like, you know, kind of one-on-one networking opportunities. And we have this whole exhibitor section where the brands can be there and they kind of, you know, exhibit on why creators should work with them, et cetera. And And so I tell them, like, every time we sell a table at this event, you're not just, you know, making a quick buck for this brand to come and sponsor. You're opening a door for the 500 people who are at this event to now pitch the sponsor so that they can now build a partnership. And it's like there's this other level to that of, you know, we're in this space advocating for ourselves, but in the process, we are advocating for the 500 people behind us and why they're also important to be invested in. hopefully we're generating warm leads for them, you know, and that's, it's, it's cool. It's really cool. Yeah. And, and you guys are really thought leaders in the space. And I just love all the talks that you produce. You have some really interesting conversations, of course, especially in the DEI space. I mean, some of the conversations that you've recently brought, uh, you know, you have fireside chats, I think, and other things. So again, for our listeners, if you don't already know who Wonderful is and the WITS, and by the way, next year, it's the WITS is in Puerto Rico, uh, which was just announced, which will be really cool. Really cool to see you there. But I want to talk a little bit now about a few other things. And my gosh, why? how is the time flying so <laughs> It's all of my storytelling, Yulia. <laughs> I know, I know. We'll have to bring you back for a, for a round two because I, I want to know, I want to I want to hear more. But I wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned a couple of times uh, this idea of, of building wonderful and, and, and what it is today. How was it doing that as a, as a female entrepreneur in travel? We've had a guest on the podcast, uh, Jillian Morris. You might know her. She's a founder of Hitlist app. And she was also talking about like, you know, she was talking about fundraising primarily and how she had to jump through so many more hoops than her male counterparts when fundraising. And it was just so frustrating that that, that was happening. So I'm, I'm curious to hear sort of how your experience went. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, so we we went through some some initial fundraising of our own, but then we actually decided that's not the path we want to pursue. So we're paying our investors back. And when I was doing that, I remember I was pregnant and I was talking to a prospective investor who was a woman and she had said to me and was also a mother and had said to me, you know, that I needed to make a choice if I was going to be a hundred percent invested in being an entrepreneur, or if I was going to be a hundred percent invested in being a mom. And I was like, uh, I kind of feel like I have to do both. Like <laughs> there's not really a choice here, but I think that that, you know, and, and, and I won't hold it against her because I think she was trying to prepare me for the world that she herself felt like she was in. You know, I don't think that she was necessarily saying this from a place of like, you can't do this. Just like, I want to prepare you for the hardship that I have had to, you know, pursue because I think our society is just not set up to support women who are entrepreneurs, women who are building businesses. And I do think that there's a lot of sexism. I mean, there's Harvard studies that say that, you know, a woman would say something and a man would say something and they might say the exact same thing with the exact same words and they're perceived differently by people, you know, and I mean, we don't have to go far. We just look at the pay gap. That tells us all we need to know about. Yeah, like that stuff is already there. And, you know, there was um, there was a speaker at an event called TravelCon a few weeks ago who was just talking about how and I got this through through a second source, but was talking about how she would pitch brands. And then she actually created like a fake email address of like a fake coworker with a male name and had him pitch stuff. And he actually got more sponsorships than she did. So, you know, it's like these just like there's just this obvious bias that's in there. And I think, you know, we get really frustrated by it because we see it every day. I mean, we'll get a lot of people who would be like, oh, you know, I'm not really interested in like supporting. They won't say it this way, but they're essentially saying I'm not interested in supporting women's initiative because I don't want to go for like a smaller market. They're like, I'd rather go co-ed, which is like the bigger market than like the women, which then we're like, number one having a niche is good. Number two, women is not actually a niche. Women in travel is 85% of the travel industry. So like you're hitting 85%. 
Number three, just because I'm a woman content creator doesn't mean that my audience is women. So all of the 500 people who are attending Wits, their audiences might be various audiences. So it's just like all of, it's just, you know, I always, I'll tell you this and then I'll shut up. But I had a sales professor once who told me what I think is like possibly the most important advice I'd ever gotten in my business and professional career, which is people think that they make decisions based on logic. That is not true. Everybody makes decisions based on emotion and they back it up with logic. And I think about that all the time because I think about how before I talk to somebody, sometimes they've already made up their mind on, you know, if they want to sponsor this initiative or not. And I think psychology has a lot to do with that. And then when they come back to you, they'll say, oh, you know, whatever, it's not in our budget or we're looking for a different audience. And I know I can feel in my bones that that's them sort of justifying a decision that they made a long time ago. And that can be really, really frustrating, you know, as a community that's trying to advocate for amplifying not just women, but other traditionally underrepresented voices in travel. And, you know, for us, we think that's a no brainer. Like there should be, I mean, if you could spend, you know, the same amount of money and reach a new audience or reach an audience that has a naturally higher engagement level or reach whatever the, you know, the argument is, I mean, you should absolutely be going for it. But I think a lot of people just sort of do what their colleagues do or what their peers in the industry do. And they don't take a second to think about, or they don't want to jump out of their comfort zone like we do. And they're not really, you know, they are a little bit more risk averse. And I feel like we're constantly fighting back against that as a, an all women team and having to kind of, yeah, I think it's, it's super frustrating. Does that mean that we should stop? No, but, and it's actually one of the reasons why we've been calling the women in travel summit wits more very specifically, because we want, we want men to be coming to wits. We want everybody to be coming to wits because we believe that issues of amplifying women and people of color and other underrepresented communities should be an issue that all of us are fighting to resolve and not just some of us, you know? So like men should be as much part of that conversation of what do we need to be doing and how can we help and how can we fix this as as the people who are affected by it should be. Yeah, I love I love that so much, and I and I remember you talking about that at the wits at this at the wits this time, and it just it resonated with me so much because I absolutely agree. And and in fact, you know, we talk a lot about you know us creating our own tables. Well, that's all well and good, but until we involve the larger structure, still nothing is going to change, you know? So I think that is crucial what you're saying, that we need to involve everybody in this process. But I actually want to sort of go deeper into the other side of this, which is what that potential investor mentioned to you, which is, you know, you have to choose whether you're 100% this or 100% that. Um, I feel like Definitely, the the time is changing too. We don't necessarily have to ch- choose as much anymore, right? We we understand that we can play different roles, but at the same time, and this is actually happening in our community, so that's why I wanted to touch upon this as well. A lot of our members they're really struggling actually with juggling all those roles too. And what we talk about a lot is you need to have a structure of support. You need to have somebody who buys into your vision of what you're trying to do and supports you in there because, yeah, sometimes it is really hard. So my question to you is actually, first of all, Beth, do you ever sleep? And second, how do you juggle all of that, right? Because, you know, you have a lot of businesses and projects that you're working on and you've been so successful. So how has that worked for you? You know, I hate that question. Give us, give us the magic pill, Beth. Give us the magic pill. Where does it all come from? But you know, and it's like, I've, I've thought a lot about this question because I do get it a lot. And I think, you know, the, I think it's a fair question. Like if I looked at myself, I would be like, oh, how does she do it all? But also it's like, it's just so aggravating because I see the bigger picture of the challenges that I'm up against as, you know, as a parent you know, with limited childcare. I have a fantastic, wonderful husband who also works a lot and travels a lot. And so we struggle with childcare and, you know, and all of these things that do make my life harder. And it's like, and I feel like I'm not doing it all. I'm barely surviving. There are days when I feel like I'm on top of the world. And there are other days when I'm just like a mess. And I'm like, why is this so hard? This is so frustrating. And I don't know why, you know, this world is set up this way. And I think about, you know, my friend who lives in Brussels who has like free childcare and stuff. And it's just like aggravating and it makes me mad, you know, that that here I am, you know, working extra hours so that I can like pay for somebody else to watch my child because I can't, you know, so it's, you know, so I'm not 
I'm not doing it all and I'm not balancing it all. But I will say that, you know, I have, when I actually became a mother, I think I stepped in, I said this to you earlier, I was like, I stepped into a different gear, but I, I really think I did. And if anything, I think being a parent taught me this amazing skill of prioritization, but like at a whole different level than I had before, because I was, I was in positions where I physically could not do the work that I wanted to do because I had a crying baby or I was nursing or I would, you know, like moments when I physically was unable to do the thing and had to figure out a way around it and kind of learned how to really prioritize what do I need to be working on? What needs to be delegated? What can be delegated? What can somebody else do? How can I communicate that as effectively as possible? And to constantly have this bird's eye view of, am I just doing busy work or stuff that needs to get done. And I think that's honestly the key is like having a really clear understanding of what needs to be done by me versus what can be done by somebody else, what can be delegated, what can be taught, what automations can be created, what technologies and tools are there out there. I think having a support network is essential. You know, I think I'm very privileged to be in a place where I, we have two working parents who are making a salary, who can afford childcare and a mother-in-law who can come in and help from time to time, you know, and like I've used, I have not been to a grocery store in probably two years because I just order all my groceries on Amazon Prime. And I realize that that's a little bit more expensive, you know, but I, but the time save is important. And so there Am I, do I sometimes get bruised produce? Yes, you know, but like that's the sacrifice. Those are the choices that I make in order to make this work. And I think for anybody, there's so the last thing I'll say, and then I'll I'll shut up, but I feel like really power, power, passionate about this, which is, you know, we have to make decisions about what works for us and what what doesn't work for other people. We have to also stop placing judgment on people for the decisions that they do make. And I think that that is incredibly important. I mean, we're all faced in times of our life when we're caregivers. And I think I'm very privileged in the sense of being an entrepreneur. You know, I talk a lot about how this is a really hard industry. We're all, but in other ways, being an entrepreneur is like the best job when you're a parent because you don't answer to anybody else. So if I have like a crying baby and I'm pitching somebody on like a sales sponsorship and they have an issue with my crying child, whatever, I don't need you. You know, like I can say that, right? Because this is my business and I'm going to run this my way. And I, I understand that it's harder sometimes when you're working for somebody else and you have to kind of like put on this air of professionalism or make the child be quiet in some way or whatever. And I think that my team has given me freedom to be who I am openly and just to like openly, there have been times where I'm on a call and I'm like openly struggling to do my life. And they give me the space and the permission to just struggle through it. And we have to give each other permission to just struggle through stuff because the extra effort it takes us to mask that or to find our way around it, that takes time and energy too. And that's where a lot of this, you know, this this time is lost is us just trying to look like we're managing it so well. I love it. I love it, Beth. No, it's it's... First of all, like I love, thank you for for being vulnerable and and open and honest on the podcast because it's exactly right, right? It's for me, it's like bringing your full self to all areas of your life, which is what we're not doing actually when we're you know when we're trying to maintain some sort of facade or some sort of you know if a child is crying we need to put them away or whatever. So it sounds like you know your team and working at wonderful is a really great environment when you're able to bring that full self and you know struggle through whatever moments are happening you're doing that it's it's really incredible and what i wanted to say also is that what you mentioned earlier about prioritizing and also busy work that is crucial actually because but but that also comes with placing importance and priority on what you need to accomplish, what you want to accomplish, your vision, your dreams, your goals, you know, and prioritizing those things. Because if you don't prioritize them, no one else will as well, especially when you have 100 other demands on your time and your attention, you know, from everything. So that's just so, so, so important. I, I love that you mentioned that because, again, we talk about this a lot on our in our community. And finally, I recently heard this thing, you know how we all have to-do lists at the beginning of the week, right? I need to do this, 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 this week. Well, I heard it on a podcast actually recently. This guy, he was recommending, in addition to a to-do list, why don't you also do a not-to-do list this week? 
actively the things I'm not going to do this week to free up that time, right? Which we don't do that. We like we tend to just add more and more and more because we think that we're like made of rubber and we keep stretching, but no, we're not. We need to prioritize really well. Yeah. And that's the power of no. I mean, I've been, I think about that a lot more too, of just being okay with saying no to things and knowing that when you're saying no to something, you're saying yes to something. And I've also started using the magic phrase of like, not now, which I have really enjoyed using, which is, you know, it's just saying like, yes, I want to work with you. Yes, I want to explore this collaboration. Yes, I want to do this thing. But right now, my dance card is full. My table is set. I don't have the capacity, but I would like to do this later. And so I'll say to people, like, I can't prioritize this right now. However, I would like to do it later. And I think that for me, who's like constantly wanting to please people, really a helpful way of, you know, saying, I'm not saying no forever, like I never want to do this. I'm just saying that I have to prioritize other things in this moment. And that's totally fine. Yeah, that's, that's a really beautiful way to put it. So it was helpful to hear that Beth also struggles. We all struggle. That's a good reminder to all of us that we all struggle, you know, we all juggle too many balls. And, you know, that is, that's the journey that is life. That is absolutely okay. And the more we talk about it, the less pressure I think we all have to feel like we need to be perfect and we need to be, you know, in perfect balance all the time. So that's, I've been really overwhelmed the past few weeks with all my projects and everything that's happening. So it's just so, it's so refreshing to hear that from you. You know, I really appreciate that. Even the godmother of the Azamara onward gets overwhelmed. Just send it to the papers. Yeah, no, but I mean, you're, you're right. And I think, you know, I won't go, go off on this, but I, I think a lot about how like social media and stuff, you know, it all plays into that. And again, I'm a mother. I mean, we're bringing this conversation full circle because as a mother of girls, I worry a lot about that. I know what social media is doing to our girls. I know that hospitalization rates from self-inflicted injuries are higher than ever before, you know, and I know that this constant pressure to be perfect, to have this perfectly curated life, to look like everything is going great, that is fundamentally destroying us. And so, you know, and if we continue to subscribe to that, we're just going to keep perpetuating that. And for like the sake of the next generation, you know, I'm like, I don't want that 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 to look like somebody's reality where people are asking me like, oh, Beth is able to do a million things. Why can't I? No, I just, I'm just crazy. I'm just like losing my mind all the time. Do I love it? Yes. But everybody has their own levels of ability and everybody's sacrificing something along the way. And it's okay for us to have moments where we're just feeling like overwhelmed, you know, and then to find solutions to get out of it. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. And, you know, actually, when you, as you were talking, what, what came to mind was this whole thing. You've probably heard this before that, you know, Beyonce also only has 24 hours in the day, just like you, and she's able to be Beyonce. And to that, I always want to say, but wait a minute, Beyonce has a huge team of people. Yep. <laughs> you can't just be Beyonce on your own. Right. You cannot be Beyonce on your own. Oh, I like that. That should be like a bumper sticker. Beyonce is not a solopreneur. Like, yes. Nothing against Beyonce. I mean, she's amazing, right? Like the businesses she's built and everything. But yeah, like when we when we make those false comparisons, that's where it's hurtful, right? Because we're like, why can't I be like Beyonce? Why can't I build this business? And like, well, do you have a team of 25 people working on, on this project with you? You don't, so. Exactly, exactly. Well, and I think it also, it's encouragement because I think that, you know, when you look under the hood sometimes like that, it actually gives you a little bit of a path forward where you're like, oh, wow, this person actually has like, has hired a social media person to help her with her strategy and planning. Oh, that's how she's consistently putting out really good, you know, stuff. And it's not like we're like pulling off the mask and like, you know, showing us for who we really are. But I think, but to your point, like it helps us sort of think about, okay, I don't have to do all of this. There's amazing talent out there. I just hired a marketing assistant because I was like, I've just got so much happening and I see the opportunities that I'm losing and I know that I don't have the time to be thoughtful about everything I say and I need somebody to give me direction sometimes. And so I hired like a Beth Santos marketing assistant. And and I think that that's, yeah, it's, you know, to recognize that other people do stuff like that and, and to have the luxury to do it, you know, I think it takes time to get there too. But it, it does help with that prioritization a lot because then you can say like, you know, I'm going to give this to somebody who's better at this than I am. And then I'm going to focus on the stuff that's me. Yeah, totally. And I, I hired a virtual assistant this the year and it's been life-changing. Shout out to you, Chris, if you're listening. I love you. You're amazing. 
So this is wonderful. So I want to start wrapping up because goodness, what an hour already has passed. But I wanted to ask you, so with all these, you know, with all these, again, amazing accomplishments that you had, a lot of the projects that, that you've worked on, that you're building on now, what gives you the most joy right now in this moment? What's sparking your joy the most right now? It's a hard moment, to be honest. I should have probably qualified it that it's it's a hard moment to find joy in, right? Like just overall, like in this year, it's been so hard for so many of us. And here I am like, what is what is sparking joy? <laughs> what brings you joy? You know, but I think, well, and honestly, there have been... So I have been working more than usual. And I think, you know, maybe other people are experiencing this where all of the things that were put off the last two years are now happening in 2022. And I feel like I feel like I've always had a pretty good balance with my work life. I make sure that I sleep. I have time with my family. You know, I do feel like I do it all sometimes in a good way, like I get it all done. And I do believe that 2022 has felt overwhelming in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of other people are feeling like that as well, because again, all of the stuff from 2020, all the stuff from 2021 that was pushed professionally has been pushed to 2022. And now we're in the place of like doing the 2022 stuff and all of the other stuff on top of it. And everybody's socially awkward because we've been by ourselves for two years. And so we're like managing all everything that's going on mentally. And and so I think, you know, so initially I was going to say something to you like, oh, you know, knowing that I'm creating a supportive community and that everybody's enjoying wonderful brings me joy. But honestly, I think what brings me joy after two years of being on Zoom is like going outside and just, you know, and making sure that I'm prioritizing like Yes, being in front of a screen is essentially my job. Yes, I still love working from home and the flexibility that that gives me. But I have had to start taking a step back and being like, I need to walk away from my computer and I need to go for a walk and be out in the fresh air and, you know, do some chalk with my daughters and make a meal and not look at my phone once. And and I think I've had to be a lot more intentional with myself about that. And it's those moments, you know, I'm I have this amazing vegetable garden that I've kept going for like during the summer the last couple of years, which is like the smell of like a good tomato. I mean, that kind of stuff really brings a person joy. And um, and I've really been relishing a lot in the natural world more than I think I ever have before. I love that. I love that so much because you're right. I mean, we've, we've just spent the last two years on Zoom and I think the, the exhaustion level too is, is starting to be like really high. And yeah, I mean, everything's coming to, seems like coming to fruition now in 2022, but also we're operating in this, the news cycle has been just really horrible this year. I mean, when has it not been? But it feels like every single thing is a, just a disaster, you know? So it does. It does feel that way. I might need to like rethink how I ask that question going forward. It's like, oh, what brings you joy? <laughs> no, but it's a good question to ask because I think like you have you have to you have to find your your moments of joy. You know, you have to prior to the point of prioritizing. Like that has to be that's something we talk about a lot at Wonderful is like a lot of the people who join Wonderful, they just join because they love to travel. And you know what? We have to encourage that. We have to encourage you to do stuff purely because you love it, not because you're going to get a raise, not because it's making you into, you know, a person that your mother-in-law likes, whatever it is. Sometimes we just need to do things because they bring us joy. And that's why we do them. And we invest in those things because they make us feel like we're better people and they make us happy. And, and so I think that's a super important question to ask. Love it. Love it. Well, Beth, it's been a very fascinating hour. I do feel like we need to bring bring you back for round two because there's a lot of things that I, I wanted to ask you. I didn't get to ask you, but I also want to be respectful of your time. So I want to close this conversation with a question that I often close our podcast with, which is, what does it mean to be a woman in travel who is stepping into her brilliance today? What does it mean to be a woman in travel who is stepping into her brilliance? It means everything, I think. And it's because women are the backbone of travel. Uh, you know, we are the ones that make all the decisions, 85% of the decisions we've said in the consumer space. We're the women who predominantly work in hospitality. We are the women who travel more out of any you know, any other gender demographic. And so when we step into our own place of brilliance, I think we are activating the power that we already have that we might not have realized that we have. And I think that we're giving permission to other women to step into that place as well. And we're going 
We're looking not just, you know, we're, we are serving as examples and we are paving pathways and we're giving people that permission just by nature of giving ourselves that permission. And I think that that example is the best thing that we can give to the women that follow us. I love that. That's so beautiful. Thank you, Beth. That was a wonderful, wonderful way to do that. I wholeheartedly believe that as well. You never know how you impact, how you touch other people. And especially when you see an amazing accomplished person as you who is doing all those things, you know, and and other amazing women that I know in the travel space. That's why it brings me so much joy to bring you guys on the podcast. Because yeah, everybody who is listening today and who is gonna, you know, come and and look at what you've done, Beth, and, and your work, you're accessible. You're in some ways, you're just like us. We're all the same and we're able to do these things. And that's the inspiration, right? You don't have to, again, be Oprah or Beyonce. We can be these incredible women who are making an impact in the space. And that's just so beautiful to see. So thank you so much, Beth, for coming today. I really enjoyed our conversation. And I hope you go go outside now and enjoy the outside. Get some of that fresh air. Thanks so much, Yulia. It's been a real pleasure. Amazing. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Beth. And if so, I want to ask you to please take a minute to support our show. You can do that by leaving us a rating or a review on the Apple Podcast app or by sharing this episode with your friends, loved ones, or posting about it on social media. It really, really helps us to get discovered by more listeners that would find our show helpful, and it means so much to me. I read every single review we get, and I take them very seriously because I want to create a great show for you. So if you've been inspired by something you heard today in our conversation with Beth or in any other episodes of our show, please Take just one minute today to support it by leaving us your rating or review. That's one of the best ways you can help us out. And I want to remind you that this August, I'm running a two-day workshop series called Getting Started in NFTs. The two workshops will be on Wednesday, August 10 and Wednesday, August 17 at 11 o'clock Eastern Time. And in that time, we're going to cover all the basics you need to know to get started in that space yourself. Check out the link in our show notes to register today or go to our homepage, travelmedialab.com. And as a special thank you to our podcast listeners, use code NFT10, that's NFT10, to get 10% off your registration. This code expires on Sunday, July 31st, so if you're interested, don't wait, register today. Thank you again so much for listening to our show, and I will see you next week.